This is the Life in the Front Office podcast. I want to first thank all of our listeners to making this a success and helping us continue to grow. We bring on sports executives and professionals from around the industry, all different aspects of the industry, to provide insights and advice for those who are trying to enter the sports industry or those who are already in the industry just looking to learn something new and continue to get better. If you like our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and visit our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com for more episodes. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and I've got Corey Breton on today, uh, CRO of Legends with Global Attractions. Um, really excited to talk to Corey about kind of what he's uh, gotten himself to today with with where he's at and uh, with Legends. And we'll really dive into kind of his career path as, as well as the true entertainment side of the business. Everyone kind of talks about sports and working for the teams and the player side, but there's a whole entertainment piece to this business. And as our co-host Pat Gallagher says, it's the fun business. So we'll, we'll dive into the entertainment piece and uh, we'll let Corey take it away. But Corey, welcome to the podcast. No, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Like I said, I was looking at uh, your long list of guests that you've had previously. So hopefully I, I can you know, at least provide a, a few tidbits and knowledge that folks can use, but you have a quite a array of folks that have uh, been on previously. So excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And we have, we have had quite a few other Bobcats on, on the podcast as well. So excited to have another Bobcat on. Um, however, I know. you know, let's dive into your career path because you didn't go to grad school right out of undergrad. You kind of went uh, a little bit later in your career, correct? That is correct. Yes, there was actually a, a clash of the Titans on Mac Tuesday um, as <laughs> I saw both of my alma maters go head to head. Um, it was a no lose situation for me. So I grew up uh, around an hour outside of Detroit, just uh, just west of Detroit in a small town called Jackson, Michigan. Um, decided I was I was going to go to school, be the first one in my family to go to college and uh, was smart enough to only apply to two schools. And I actually made my decision to not go to Michigan State uh, solely based on the fact that I grew up a Michigan fan and I, I couldn't see myself wearing green and white. So I chose Western Michigan. So as you can tell, my decision making process early on was a, a little bit flawed, but uh, went to Western Michigan for my undergrad, did four years there. And then it wasn't probably 12 years later. I think it was 14 years later after I graduated uh, that I actually went back to, to Ohio U uh, for my PMSA. So the green and white really captured you just in a different state. That's all. <laughs> yeah, which ironically enough, uh, most of my family was ready to um, send me off a little bit because of the fact that I went to school in Ohio. And if any, if you know anything about the state of Michigan and the state of Ohio, uh, as we look towards uh, Michigan versus uh, Ohio State, it's not much of a rivalry anymore in football. But there's definitely an uh, animosity that exists between the two states. So. Not only did I uh, not upset my family when I when I chose to go to Western Michigan as opposed to Michigan State, so I won them over there. But then when I went to grad school, my friends and family were questioning uh, my loyalty to the state of Michigan a little bit. So <laughs> I had to say, look, look, it's just online. I go to these symposiums uh, twice a year, but outside of that, and they um, they didn't really understand or care the fact that uh, Ohio U is legitimately the number one sports management program in the world. 
Um, they all they could hear was that it was in Ohio. So got a little flack for that early on. Well, a- Athens is a special place for all those who have been there and went there. And, um, you know, so you grew up in the Midwest uh, in smaller towns, went to smaller towns for school. But then you've worked in bigger places since. So Atlanta, Phoenix, L.A., um, where else? What do, what do we got? Minnesota? Uh, yeah, Minneapolis. So, okay. yep. Uh, but yeah, right after I graduated, I was fortunate enough to, during college, let me take a step back. So during college, um, I was an advertising promotions major, accounting minor. Um, at that point in time, this is early 2000s, you know, the, the big three. And when I say the big three, I mean, you know, Chevy, Ford, um, Chrysler were, were all doing really well. And the majority of the folks that were in advertising promotion degrees at that point in time were going over to Detroit and working for one of the big three. Um, and so I thought I was going to work in advertising on that side, do uh, graphic design or something to that extent, whether it be print, digital. Um, and my second to last semester of, uh, of college, I took a class in sports marketing. Um, it was by a fluke. It was just one of those that was in our business school. We didn't have a sports management program, so I didn't even know that existed. And towards the end of the class, they actually brought individuals in that were previous graduates. So we had an individual that was working for the Chicago Cubs, another one for the White Sox, and a gentleman from the Toledo Mud Hens. Um, and then we had a few other folks that were actually from the Grand Rapids Rampage, um, which was only about 45 minutes away from Kalamazoo, Michigan and Western Michigan. And so after the class, I walked up and said, I'd love to get an internship. Like, how does this work? What do I do? Um, And so it worked out my final semester of college. I only had classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, which afforded me the opportunity to work Monday, Wednesday, Friday there and still have a job on the weekends and to like actually make money on Saturdays and Sundays, because obviously I was working for free uh, for the internship. And so got involved and immediately opened up my eyes, opened up my world to working in sports. Um, And through that, uh, you know, it turned me on to Teamwork Online. It was the first time I'd ever been introduced to Teamwork Online. I started to to search all the different jobs that were available as graduation was coming up that April. Um, And, you know, was, was fortunate enough to land an opportunity to attend an NBA job fair. And they used to have this where 25 out of the 30 teams would all set up shop in one city. Um, they'd have a chance to go through mass interview process where they get 250 candidates at a, at a hotel and you're legitimately just interviewing for inside sales roles. And so I traveled over to Chicago, drove over, interviewed for two days um, and was fortunate enough to get an offer from uh, the Phoenix Suns. And I had never been west of the Mississippi. So for somebody that went to college, literally 55 minutes away from driveway to my apartment in college, um, you know, it was one of those things where I, I said, I'm all in and, uh, and packed up everything into my S10 and, and drove out to Phoenix. And so my career started out there as an inside sales rep, uh, way back when. And, uh, since then it's carried me through the NBA where I did work for the Atlanta Hawks and the Thrashers in the NHL, had a pit stop there for seven years, was in Minneapolis for two years, and then actually flipped over to Los Angeles football club, uh, which was LAFC. And that's where I, I really got recruited by the team at Legends to come out there and work on that project on behalf of them um, and work for an MLS team. And then about a year and a half ago, I moved in my current role, which is Chief Revenue Officer of Global Attractions, which um, a lot of the same skill set. And, and it's a fairly new division of Legends, uh, but definitely a growing one as well. 
So you mentioned your, you know, your multiple stops along the way and, and all of it being in kind of the revenue side of the business. Um, you just mentioned in which, you know, the global attractions piece is, is the new and growing kind of up and coming piece of the entertainment business. What for, for the, for the listeners that are either, you know, trying to get into sports or they're working in sports and they, you know, are looking at different opportunities across the country what is Global Attractions? What do you guys do? Um, what, what's it going to grow to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and, and I'll take a step back even from there. You know, I think the five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, people knew Legends as uh, a sports entity, right? We're a white label agency that sits behind a lot of these larger uh, renovation projects and or new stadium build outs. Um, but really what Legends is growing into is a full service agency. And there's a lot of things that we're involved in that people aren't familiar with or would never know unless you did a ton of research. So we have the, what we call the Legends 360 degree wheel. We're able to do project management, global sales, um, global planning. And then we also do hospitality for food and beverage and merchandise. So those are really the three separate, separate divisions of the business, global planning, global sales, and then hospitality. Um, and now we've transitioned, I, what I would say to, and I always use the, we use the phrase, um, you know, we operate, operate where people congregate for a common cause. And typically a common cause is sports, music, entertainment, attractions, or food and beverage. And those are the things that bring people together, that break down barriers. Um, and our number one objective, our number one goal is to enhance the guest experience and how are we any way, shape or form we can do that. And so as we look at it, global attractions, what we saw is we, we opened one world observatory in New York city, um, which is a phenomenal experience. You ever get a chance to go down in the financial district, right near the world trade center area. Um, and we opened that in, in 2015. Um, you know, we'll do close to 3 million visitors this year. So a ton of people visit it. But it truly is an experience. You're, you know, you're on, on site for anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes. Uh, we have food and beverage opportunities. We have uh, merchandise opportunities. But we also are storytellers. So as soon as you step foot onto the, the property, uh, we're really trying to tell and articulate a story that represents the, the city of New York. And so every single touch point that you come across is a representation of that city. You know, our elevator experience is really raw and really rare. Um, you see, obviously, the views, the, the, the hero is the view, the panoramic views, floor to ceiling views of each of the respective cities. Um, that gives you that bird's eye vantage point that you typically wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And then we have all these different touch points located throughout the experience that are really authentic and genuine to that specific city. And so when we open that, what we realized is a lot of the same skill sets that we use in all the other areas of our business directly translate to this. All it is is accumulation of all of our services. So, um, you know, in some instances, people might hire us for just project management. Other people might hire us for just global planning. Other people might just hire us for global sales. And then some folks might hire us just for food and beverage or merchandise. In the, in the attractions landscape, um, our partners hire us to run and operate these observation decks, these attractions, on behalf of them. So we legitimately handle every single uh, step, every single discipline of the business is handed over to us and we run and operate the space on behalf of them. So once again, we're completely white label behind One World Observatory. That's the commercial name. 
that is out in front to the consumers. But everything done uh, behind the scenes is by legend. So now we have One World Observatory in New York. Uh, I'm t actually today at Skyview Observatory in Seattle. Uh, we have OUE Skyspace in Los Angeles. We also have the Shard in London. Uh, we'll open Prue Center in Boston in 2021. We have uh, one being developed in Chicago called Aeon Center. And then we have another attraction, which is really unique. It's called Illuminarium. Uh, that one's actually going to open in later uh, 2020, fall of 2020, and that's in Atlanta. Um, so we continue to expand, you know, and it's it's relatively unique, but it's fun, it's excitement, it's entertainment. And at the end of the day, it's it's all about bringing people together for a common cause and trying to provide the best possible experience. No, it's fantastic. And we, and we were talking about this in another episode where, you know, sports is one of those unique things along with the entertainment, you know, aspect, whether it's a concert or or an attraction as such as yours, where people can all get around, you know, a team or some sort of action that's going on and pretty much drop everything else that's going on in their life, right? It's, it's kind of interesting and in, in how society can act in that way. Um, but you, you, t you mentioned earlier the skill sets that you have kind of built amongst your multiple experiences before this, this role. Um, what were some of those and, and how have they kind of helped you and what you're doing now, regardless of the fact that maybe you aren't, uh, you know, rooting on a team every other night, um, but it's, it's in a you know, similar landscape. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's a beautiful part about sport. And, and I think first and foremost, I'll start off by saying in no way, shape or form did I ever set out to, to have um, a career in sales. Um, you know, my background wasn't that now, you know, I, I, I would say I moonlighted as a, as a sales rep at Foot Locker, uh, throughout high school and college to put my way through it. Um, I worked at Sears in college as well, selling electronics. So I was always around selling, but I really never saw myself as a salesperson. And, you know, what I would say is that, um, I've been very fortunate and very lucky to have always found really good people or, or good people have found me. And I think that's the common denominator. Um, and I would say that, you know, whoever's listening, whoever will listen, whoever, you know, has been on this podcast previously, I think it all comes down to, to the people you surround yourself with. And moving into the Phoenix Suns, they had tremendous talent at that time. Um, and I was very fortunate to be surrounded by what I call the dream team of talent in sports at that point in time. We had a good stretch there where there's a ton of executives throughout all the major sports industries or all the major sports leagues, I should say, um, who were with us at that point in time, but they taught us transferable skills. You know, we weren't selling um, tickets. We weren't selling suites. We weren't selling lowish boxes, club seats. Um, we we're selling an experience and we're in the emotional transportation business. Um, and yet at the same time, the business, the B2B aspect of what we were doing, um, those can translate and cross over to any other industry. And I think that for a long period of time, um, and I would say this, you know, spending 12 years in the NBA, a long period of time. And one of the things that really drove me to go to Ohio U for my master's was that I really wanted to size myself up. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, not to say I'd become complacent or I had uh, gotten to the point where I felt like I knew all the answers. I just wanted to challenge myself in a unique way and see how my skill set up to that point had put me in a position to be successful or how it would put me in a position to be successful in a completely different realm of the business. If I did ever translate 
and move away from ticket sales and get into sponsorship sales, or if I ever did get into project management, or if I ever did move into operations, you know, how would my, my training over the course of those 12 years, how had it prepared me to be successful in any of those other roles? And what I would say is that um, early on, I was too naive to realize it, but the foundation that I was receiving from the Phoenix Suns early on in my career um, has carried me throughout my entire career. And, you know, I think anytime I hit, um, hit a point where I, I, I fall into a little bit of a trap or I fall into a rut, I always go back to those basic principles and those basic spill, skill sets and, and really, uh, you know, as lame as it sounds, I mean, it's cliche because it's true. It's, it's trust the process and go back to it. No, that's fantastic. And I, and I remember the first time we connected, you had kind of uh, sprung upon the whole hedgehog concept and something that, you know, you lived strongly by and, and had kind of discovered uh, somewhat early on, if I remember correctly. But can you kind of expand upon <laughs> that for our for our listeners? And I just found it fascinating, uh, you know, how you apply yeah. that to your, you know, your daily life. Yeah, yeah, no, not a problem at all. And I, uh, you know, it's ironic, too. I think this is the other unique piece is, um, as you go through your journey, and I think all of us have our specific journeys that we're on, you never know what's going to resonate, right? Um, and you never know what's really going to hit in, in somebody's mind. And the fact that, you know, you remember the hedgehog concept is is uh, is pretty cool. But uh, it was probably 27, 28 years old. Um, you know, I, I believe at that point in time, I was a manager of sales, a director of sales at the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers. So we had two teams there. Um and I knew that I had already mapped out or had been told uh, that the fu- my future was mapped out. You started out as an inside sales rep. You took that level to an account executive. Then you had the decision to either go the premium sales route or you could go and become an inside sales manager. Um, I choose a leadership route. Uh, I wanted to pay it forward, if you will, because I had had an awesome, awesome leader in the name of Mike Toman. Um, who ironically is uh, is my direct boss now. Um, you know, we spent about 12 to 13 years apart and then recently got reunited. But, uh, but you know, he dedicated so much time and energy to making sure that I was going to be successful. And so I, I took the leadership route. And then once you got into leadership, you're an inside sales manager. Then you became a manager of sales. Then you became a director of sales. Um, and then eventually, hopefully, what you do is over the course of the time, you would become a vice president of ticket sales and service. And that was always my goal uh, since I got into this industry. And then I got to the point where I was like 28 and, and I, I looked at that goal and I felt like the goal, although I hadn't achieved it yet, it wasn't too far off. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It was just one of those things where I felt comfortable and confident that I was going to achieve it. But I took a step back and said, why do I want to achieve this? Um, and I really felt like I had been living out someone else's wishes and or, um, like path, like, right. If that makes sense. Mm And, um, I grabbed a book, I grabbed a couple books, uh, great author, uh, Jim Collins, good to great, great by choice. And he talked a lot about the, the organizations that have been successful over a long period of time. And I got to this chapter and it talked about the hedgehog concept and it was three intersecting circles. Um, and each of the circles represented something differently. So one was what drives your economic engine. Number two was what are you deeply passionate about? And number three was what can you be the best of the world at? Um, and it was the first time where I would say I was really introspective up to that point in time. I was more of a doer. 
Um, I was your yard worker. I was your construction worker. You know, my parents, uh, they grew up working on a, a, a factory line making brakes for Ford. You know, there wasn't a lot of whole, whole lot of free thinking. If somebody gave you a task, the next question was, well, when do you need this task done by and how many parts do you need? And that was really my mentality up to that point, which probably led to a little bit of my success because I was so naive that I didn't ask a ton of questions. I was just like, okay, tell me what to do and I'll go that and I'll run as fast as I can, as hard as I can in that direction. Um, but I got to that point and I asked myself those questions and money was never a motivator um, for me. So what drove my economic engine you know, wasn't, wasn't the, the status. It wasn't the title. It wasn't the money. Um, and what I found is that I became fascinated um, and infatuated with growth, like whatever that meant personally or professionally, I just wanted to grow. Um, you know, I wanted to be better today than I was yesterday. I wanted to, to, to try to push myself to the limits to exceed even what I believed I could achieve on my own. I wanted to be around people who influenced my growth. I wanted to be um, associated with folks that were all about growth. And so I, I, I said, all right, growth, that's what drives my economic engine. And then I went over to, you know, what are you deeply passionate about? And one thing that, I, you know, I was always coached and taught. And, and one thing that I always try to coach and teach is, you know, the Lombardi quote, like we're going to pursue endlessly, we're going to relentlessly pursue perfection, knowing full well, we'll never achieve it. Uh, but by doing so, we're going to land up in a pretty good spot, right? And and that's paraphrasing that quote, but but I believe everybody out there would know it. Um, and so the pursuit of perfection, and I believe sales specifically as it relates to sales, and I would just say human interaction in general. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have an accounting minor. Um, accounting is very formulated, meaning there's a right and a wrong way to do it. There's a right answer and a wrong answer. I believe in communication, what we're doing right now. I believe in sales. Um, there's a framework, there's certainly a foundation, but it's not an X's and O's game. And so for me, the pursuit of perfection, I know I'm never going to per be able to perfect salesmanship. Um, I'm never going to be able to perfect leadership. But by pursuing that perfection, I believe I'm going to land in a pretty good spot. And so I knew that was a motivator for me. That was something I was deeply passionate about. Um, if you were to speak to anybody that has worked with me, around me, um, you know, I'm definitely have the red pen in my pocket and I'm always checking. You're never going to get a paper back completely with just an A plus at the top. Like I'm always <laughs> going to nitpick some things because I always want us to like try to exceed our ex even own expectations. Um, and the final thing was, uh, what do I believe I can be the best in the world at? Which is a very arrogant statement question um, right off the bat. Yet it, it, it for me, it formed my North Star. And what I mean by that is that you know, as you grow your career and you've seen it, and I'm sure others have as well, um, there's a lot of tugs. There's a lot of pulls. And, and at times you can get pulled in directions where you, it, your, your heart might not necessarily be there, but you're doing it because it, it's exactly what your boss or your company is calling for that point in time. And when you don't have a North Star, I, I believe you um, live in a world of ambiguity. What I mean by that is that today you might feel this way, tomorrow you might feel that way, you know, and flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. And I really wanted to have a destination in mind, a North Star, a why behind what I was doing, a Simon Sinek, if you will, a why. Okay, what, what am I focused on? And that was to develop tomorrow's leaders. Um, you know, I looked at that point in time, 28, like I said, I think I was 27, 28. And I, and I took a, a page out of like the tombstone moment, like what do I want on my tombstone? 
Uh, I looked at it like, you know, if I were uh, sitting on a, a, a rocking chair 30 years from today, um, what do I want to be remembered is what, what do I want my legacy to be? And, you know, I look at it today. And if somebody were to ask me five years ago, like, hey, what was the overall revenue that you generated in XYZ role? I wouldn't be able to, to respond. I don't know that answer, nor, nor do I, I know I try to achieve and I probably, and hopefully our team did achieve, but I'd prefer to be remembered as somebody that impacted lives and impacted individuals and help people grow and help people learn and help people become leaders themselves and give back. And so for me, that's how the hedgehog came about. Um, and I've really used that as my guiding principles. That's how I build out my business plans. That's how I build out my relationships, my partnerships. That's how I build out teams um, is I really use those as my foundation. It's a conversation I have all the time with the folks on the ground, uh, wherever they may be in any step of my career. So really long winded answer, but hopefully that gives you context to where it was and how it started and how I looked at it and how I thought about it. No, I love it. And and, it, and obviously it helps tell your story kind of a little bit as well. Right. And, and, and where, you know, you've gotten to um, post your, your, roles within the NBA. And I, I guess the, the, the follow-up question I'd have to that is, as you're trying to grow, you know, the next generation of leaders, how do you push them or how do you help them um, reflect or be introspective like you were talking about? Because that was something that, you know, at 28, you didn't know or didn't, you know, you weren't aware that you were needed to do that, right? So like, how do you get people to, to think that way? if they haven't already? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think it's a great question. Um, and what I would say to that, and, and, and I think the world is evolving and changing. I mean, what's happened probably in the last two years with, you know, diaries and people keeping journals and, you know, the, the mental health awareness and some of the other things that have popped up where people are much more willing today to talk about their fears than they ever have been. I think for a long period of time, it was just, all right, grit just straight grit, find a way to, to push through. So I, I believe that that question continues to evolve. Um, and the answers to that question continue to evolve. But w one thing that uh, I was taught early on and, and what we've tried to do at any of my stops is um, coach through voices other than your own, meaning find uh, parallels, find analogies, find books, find articles, find podcasts, find YouTube videos, that can coach and teach and guide your team and your leaders um, in a consistent manner. So it's the same message, but it's through different voices because you never know what medium is going to hit people. And so, for instance, in, in early on, I was very fortunate. Once again, um, we built out a cadence and every single day that I would come in as a leader, I would send out what I called a cup of joe. And that cup of joe was a message. Um, it was inspirational. It was motivational. Um, it was educational. And it was always filtered around common themes. Um, and this was something we, we did and I've done throughout, um, even at LAFC, where Monday was TGIM. It was, thank God it's Monday. Tuesday was better, better today than we were yesterday, Tuesdays. Wednesdays were Master of the Craft Wednesdays. Thursdays were bigger than me Thursdays. Fridays were don't flinch Fridays. And so every day had a theme and the overall arching element was trust the process. You know, we'll coach you, we'll teach you. Um, you know, if you follow these steps, we will see success. And then you layer in a book and then you layer in uh, an article. You layer in a video from Eric Thomas 
Um, you layer in a YouTube, you know, clip from Will Smith, um, whatever it might be, you find what I call like almost like a culture bucket, a motivational bucket, an educational bucket, and you create this um, library of items that you can use to influence your team. Because I do believe like my voice is going to fall in deaf ears at a certain point in time. I'm going to need to show that alignment through that. Um, and so that's what we try to do at, at all of our stops. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit of the bell curve. You know, there's your early adopters on a team, especially when you're trying to change a culture uh, that buy into it. And, but all I need is a majority vote. You know, we live in a democratic uh, uh, country, right? So for me, if I got to 51% that bought in, I knew I was, th there we go, we're good. Because that 51%, sooner or later, you're going to get that remaining 49%, either they're going to say, I got to get on this ship, or I got to get off this ship, because the ship ain't stopping. And so um, it's a slow burn, it was a slow process, but I believe all those elements factored into that, and we're so consistent and meticulous with the messaging that they knew we weren't going away. They, they either had to buy into the culture that we were building or they had to hit a board. And that was completely fine if people hit a board. Like this isn't meant for everybody. And that's the other piece. We had very open dialogue uh, with our folks. We had very, what I call like true syrup conversations. We had very like real talk conversations with people and saying, this is the vision. This is where we're going. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is how we're going to achieve it. Are you in or out? And you know what? You don't have to even give me that answer today, but over the course of time, we're going to continue to have these real talk conversations every biweekly basis. Um, and we'll figure it out if, if you're in or out and uh, we'll help you either way. And, and that's how we kind of formed it. So hopefully that helps. Well, and, and, you know, with culture, you, you mentioned earlier, it's all about the people. Um, so the one thing I would, I would throw at you is, you know, in terms of people, yes, you want to, you know, be around good people. But if you don't know the person, right, if you don't know, uh, like you said, you, you went back to, to work for your former boss. So you already knew him, you already worked with them. You know, and in, in our industry, there's definitely people and colleagues that you connect with that eventually you go and work for them uh, one way or another at some point. But for those that you don't know, how do, how do you ask the right questions? What are the right questions to find out if those people are a good fit, right? Yeah. At, at first, at first, they may seem, you know, everyone may seem like a good fit, right? But how do you really dig deep and ask the right questions uh, to find that out? Yeah, I, I would say there's two phases of that. Um, I think one is how do you ask questions of potential leaders that you're, you're going to have to manage up to, right? So if I'm transitioning from an organization to another organization, I got to make sure that I'm aligned with those leaders at those other spots, um, and so the, those questions are like one stop, right? And, and we can hit on those later, but the, the questions that I would ask, uh, individuals is that early on, um, and th this is where folks will ask like, Oh, what, what books did you read? You know, and once again, I, you know, my intention was never to be, uh, a top sales rep. My, my intention was never to have a career in sales. I was more interested in the psychology behind why people bought. And so early on, I would, I would read a lot of those books and, and read a lot of those articles and figure out what really drives. And I think about like um, the hierarchy of needs. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think about John Wooden's pyramid. Um, and so early on in our recruiting process, we built out a character ladder and we put, I think it was 10 characteristics that we feel like, 
folks possess that are successful in sales. And then we listed off five to six questions underneath each of those characteristics. So think about commitment and drive and optimism um, and flexibility, adaptability and team player. Um, and you go down the line and we built in five to six questions underneath each of them. And so our interviews would never start with, hey, Jake, walk me through your past experience. Interviews would start, hey, Jake, um, talk to me about what your parents did for a living. Talk to me about the city you grew up in, the town you grew up in. Talk to me about um, the sports you played, the activities you were a part of uh, growing up. How many siblings do you have? You know, how did you choose your college? And, and walk me through that. And, you know, what was your first job? When did you get your first job? What, what was that like for you? What lessons learned do you take from that first job that you apply today? And our thought and our belief is that the, the, the fabric that you're woven with from an early point, right? I'm never going to be able to teach anybody work ethic if they weren't, if that wasn't instilled in them at an early age. And so I believe the same characteristics that you possess at the age of 13 are the same characteristics you possess at the age of 23, at the age of 33, at the age of 43. Now you refine those characteristics and you build on those strengths and you make them even stronger and you probably cover up some of your weaknesses. But as far as like changing as a person completely, um, I don't think that's common. And so what we really try to do is focus on characteristics to figure out who those right people were that we're going to fit us. And I go back to that is that that hedgehog concept. The first person I had to know was myself. And once I figured out like what my North star, what, what I wanted, what I believed in, I knew that I wasn't going to um, cut corners when it came to what we were trying to build out because that's who I am. That's what I believe in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, evolve, but I'm not going to change, if that makes sense. Like, I think evolution and, 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 and changing are two polar things, polar opposite things. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really factoring in the characteristics, finding out about the true fabric that people have, and then making sure that those characteristics fit in with our team um, and, and going from there. So in terms of kind of, you know, the, the leadership style or um, management style that you kind of learn through your experiences and then also from those leaders that you learned from, right? You talked about the sons kind of having that, those kind of group of leaders that all started and have gone elsewhere. Um, what's one thing that you've picked up that, you know, if you're, if you're a, a, a CEO or a CRO that's listening to this, you know, what's one thing that you've maybe picked up along the way that that's maybe surprised you in terms of, what you, what you maybe didn't think you would learn being in a leadership position? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. As soon as you started asking it, I, I knew immediately where I would go with this one. And I learned it when I was in Atlanta uh, with the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers. And I had a great leader there. Um, he actually is the commissioner, essentially, of NBA 2K. His name is uh, Brendan Donahue. Um, and it was the first time where I was a leader and I was failing. Um, I had missed my goal by a tremendous amount, by a huge amount. And I remember having a conversation with him. Um, and up to that point, I, I felt like in sales, you always were, were having to put on the brave face. And even if you had a horrible pipeline, you know, hey, Jake, no, my pipeline's good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to hit quarter. I'll hit Q1 goal. I'll, I'll get to the yearly goal, whatever it might be. Um, 
And, and it was the first time where I admitted, like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I go, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm cut out to do this. I don't know. And he goes, vulnerability is all right. It's okay to be vulnerable. You don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. You always don't have to have all the answers. You always, when we sit in our board meetings, you don't always have to speak up and speak out. Um, and that word vulnerability, I think that is probably one of the best assets um, that any leader can have. But I also believe that if I look at all the C-level execs and upper tier leaders that, that I see, um, they're completely vulnerable. And, and I think that takes uh, a lot of uh, humility. Uh, but I also think it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of confidence, ironically enough. And, and because when you're confident enough in your own ability and you're confident enough to admit what you know, but more importantly, what you don't know and being vulnerable in front of your team, as opposed to being like Jake stop, you know, and, and pretending like I got the answer. I know the answer. Like it's okay to be human. And I think what I learned through Brendan and, and other leaders that I've worked with is that vulnerability leads to you humanizing situations. And at the end of the day, you know, I've traveled, I've been fortunate enough to, to work in different markets, right? Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel overseas and spend five weeks in London working at one of our properties there. Um, the one common denominator is we're all humans. We all laugh the same. We all smile the same. We all work the same. Now we might go about it a little bit differently and we might have different attributes or there might be different day-to-day -day tendencies. But at the end of the day, one common denominator we do have is, is we're all humans, um, and so I think having that vulnerability is a, a key factor in leadership. And early on, you want to control everything. And when you try to control everything, you control nothing. Um, and, and I think by being vulnerable and being able to let go of some things and give people the autonomy to run and operate and do their own thing um, really opens them up and it opens you up um, because you see what people are capable of. No, that's a great lesson. And, and I'm sure it applies to those even when you're starting out too, right? Like it's not just when you get to that leadership position as well. No, no, yeah. no, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I, and I say this a lot and it's not to, you know, I mean, I, you mentioned earlier, I sit here and, you know, I went back to school. Um, but I think academia uh, teaches us to not raise our hands, right? Like I remember sitting in class and you, K through 12, any of those grades, um, if you raised your hand and got the wrong answer, it was almost a punishment or you got, you know, clowned on by, by your classmates. Um, and it wasn't, you never, you never wanted to be wrong. So what you, what you did is you hit in the back. I would hide in the back of the room. I wouldn't raise my hand. I never would want to put myself out there. Really the same thing in college as well. And there's a, a finite grade or there's a, 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 a um, the way we, evaluate ourselves K through 12 and really K through, you know, college is you're evaluated based on metrics and measurements that are like just very specific. And so you never want to raise your hand and get deducted. So you just learn never to be vulnerable um, and ask for help or ask for assistance. You'd rather hunker down and try to figure things out on your own uh, rather than go to your teacher's hours and ask them a question, because as soon as you ask the question, you're saying, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, and there was a occurrence yesterday. You know, I was working with with our leader at Legends and he said, you get what I was doing there. And, and I literally hesitated um, because I honestly didn't. I, I sat in a meeting and I was trying to keep up and I was trying to pay attention. 
and we were talking about a deal structure and I wasn't sure what, where he was exactly going. I, I was following him maybe like 75% of the way. And it was last night I'm sitting on the couch and I'm going, why am I going to say, yeah, I got it. I'm good. And instead I asked the question, he gave his response and his response was pretty much on par with what I thought, but there was a little added wrinkle in there that gave me more, uh, another level of confidence, if that makes sense. And so I think it's just on mm -hmm. us uh, to coach and teach and create cultures that we always talk about it at legends, you know, fail fast, fail often. It's completely fine. If we fail, we do not fear failure. We accept failure. We want to fail because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we get better. Um, and so I think it's trying to create a culture of that as well and making sure people feel comfortable raising their hand. Well, certainly failing and, and then failing asking questions too, right? I mean, sometimes the answer is no, or sometimes the answer isn't what you expected, but it's at least asking uh, as opposed to wondering what if you asked. Um, as we wrap up the episode, and it's been fantastic, but I, I want to ask uh, one, one kind of question that we'll leave our, our audience with, and that's uh, has to do with legacy. So as you you know, as you kind of climb, climb the ladder and you go throughout your, your various experiences and you try and um, help create, you know, the generation of next leaders, which is probably going to be your answer. But what's, what's, what's the legacy you want to leave in, we'll call it the front office and, and, you know, the industry of sports? Yeah. Um, I think it's a great question. And that is, uh, as, as all salespeople do, that's my pause to try to collect myself and collect my thoughts. Right. So that's, uh, my buffer statement, but, um, you know, ironically enough, I had an individual that, uh, that came through LA, which is where I live now that came through LA this past weekend. Um, and he, you know, was an individual that I hired right out of college. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to recruit him. And um, we spent, you know, Saturday and Sunday together. And, and um, you know, he stayed over at my house, slept on the couch type deal. We watched college football all day, kind of hung out, bounced around, whatever it might be. And we started to talk about where his career is, where my career is, and what we wanted for each other um, and how we could help each other even to this day. And you know, I think there's um, and, and our conversation led us down the path of, you know, I, I never want to be your boss. Like, I, you know, I, I don't want you to view me um, as your boss. I don't want you, us to ever have a relationship where it's awkward, where, you know, the fact that he can reach out and, you know, we have that relationship and we can hang out and just be friends. Um, and I think that's like where the legacy out of the, the folks that I've worked with, worked for, um, I want them to be able to count on me for things even outside the workplace. I want them to know that they can pick up the phone and talk to me at any point in time about any topic, whether it's family related, personal related, professional related. Um, and I'll always pick up and I'll always lend an ear. Um, and I might not have the answers, nor might they might not be seeking out answers. They might just want to have a conversation because a lot of times we're always seeking out people to have a, a, a chat with. Right. Um, but over the course of the day, we talked about it and it's like, He's had his trials and tribulations in his career. I've had my trials and tribulations. Um, there's probably a lot of points early on where I could have said, hey, you know, this is how I did it. This is why I did it. This is my route. Don't make the same mistakes. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, you got to allow people to make their own mistakes and live their own life and make their own decisions and make their own choices. Um, and that's something that I think if you talk about legacy, I just want to be known as a human being that was there for people that I worked with, that people that worked for me, 
um, and that I'll be there to support them um, in any way, shape or form, whether personally or professionally. And once family, always family. Um, when I was in Atlanta, we stole a phrase from Greg Schiano, uh, who was the ex-coach of the Rutgers and also a coach for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's family. Forget about me. I love you. And that's something that uh, stuck with me at that point in time. It's, it's kind of led me through. But I think that factors into everybody that I've ever worked with or worked for um, or people that have worked for me is, you know, I'm there for you. And we're family from this day forward. Um, it's not a, a, a I, I don't want to carry an org chart through life, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, I don't believe in that chain of command, anything like that. Like we're all on the same page. We're all on the same. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. Um, and you have a friend in me. Well, that definitely well represents the Bobcat family and, um, you know, just the industry in general. So well said and, and really enjoyed having you on today and, and certainly welcome you on in the future. Looking forward to what, uh, you know, your side of the business and Global Attractions is, is doing, you know, 20, you know, later in 2020 and 2021 and, and the global expansion. So really excited to, to see what that brings for the industry and um, any any last parting words? Ha. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I'd say as you talk about Bobcat family and just career family, uh, career um, and the trajectory that people take, um, I go back to that hedgehog concept. And I would just say um, from a last words perspective, you know, be honest and true with yourself. Um, you know, I think we always go back to it and I always try to you know, talk about it. But the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror. Um, self-awareness is something that is lacking, I think, in a lot of folks. And it's not because they don't know how to, it's because they don't want to. And so I just say, be true to yourself and have self-awareness um, and always look in the mirror at the end of the day um, and give yourself a grade. You know, like, how would you rate today? Is today on a scale of one to 10? Is, is today a 10? Is it a nine? Is it an eight? Is it a seven? It's six. And we know every day is not going to be a 10. Uh, but one thing we talked about, and this is something we stole from uh, an assistant coach, is like when I was in Atlanta with the Hawks, he's like, I know every day I can't be a 10, but I can't be anything less than an 8. And so I just think that having that self-awareness and being true to who you are and being honest with yourself every single day uh, will, will carry you throughout your career. Oh, that's perfect. Well, thanks again, Corey. Appreciate the time. And uh, certainly look forward to uh, the next episode. All right. Thanks a lot, Jake. I appreciate it. I want to take the time to thank you for listening to Life in the Front Office. And if you liked our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. And for more episodes, visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com. And please continue to share uh, with your colleagues on social media and Help us continue to grow. Thanks.